Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Today we're going to talk about one of our most popular subjects, one of the most important subjects in energy today, and that is hydraulic fracturing or fracking. But we're going to do it from a different angle, and it's an angle I call inside fracking. We've talked a lot about how fracking works, what the safety concerns are, but I don't think we have gone in depth enough yet into what does fracking actually mean in practice? What is it like to work on a drilling rig that does fracking? What are the people who do fracking actually like? Why do they do it? What do they think about it? And so I decided, well, we have a lot of friends of the show who actually do this for a living. Uh, And I had talked to one of them, Terry Cunningham, a lot of times about his work and found it fascinating. So I thought, well, let's have him on the show. So without further ado, Terry, welcome to Power Hour. Thank you. It's good to be here tonight. All right. So tell the audience a little bit about just your your general job description within the oil natural gas industry. Well, my title is I'm a petroleum consultant uh, on the locations, the rigs, the people call me the company man. I'm the the representative of the production companies. I'm there to look out for their interests. So can you um, can you elaborate a little bit on the different sorts of companies involved in a given operation? Because I think often people think, oh, there's just one oil company and it does everything and then you get the oil from that way. Right. Well, it, the way it's set up is you have your production companies, which are the owners of the of the oil well it's, itself. Then you have a drilling company, which has the which is the owner of the rig and they do the actual drilling of the of the well and then you have a several service companies which are uh companies that uh they provide the different services that we use like the pumps the tanks the the fluids the chemicals um the supply the water every everything outside the realm of drilling and they'll, they'll provide that so give us an idea of how complex an operation like this is. In the media, basically told, well, you drill down and then you shoot some water and then some bad stuff happens allegedly and then you get oil and gas. Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of technologies that, it, that, it, that it's allowed us to do this. Uh, they, we've been fracking in the oil field since 1938 and we've probably fracked over a million of wells just here in the united states um but prior to the barnett formation um we would always drill a vertical well straight down and then perforate along the the pay zone area which would be 
it could be from 10 to 20 foot up to a hundred and something feet. It, it, there, it's just dependent on the formation itself. And, and we would frack it there and those, those fracks would go out horizontally. Um, and, and that would allow the flow to get to the well bore. Well, in the Barnett, what they did was they, they combined the new, the new technology of horizontal drilling. And when they would frack, the, the fractures would go uh, vertically. And it, you didn't have to break as you didn't have to fracture as hard. It, you, the pressures would be lower, the sand, the fluids would take less. You would do it in stages. We, we would separate them out. You can, you may have uh, up to 20, 30 stages of, of, of a frack. You frack each little section at a time, one right after another. And, and you would drop a, um, either drop a ball or put a plug in the, in the well bore in the horizontal section and then frack above it, plug it, plug that at section, frack above it and just keep moving up to the, what they call the hill of the horizontal section, which is, you can imagine where it comes down and goes off to the, starts the angle, would look like a foot, and that would be your heel back there, and the toe would be at the end of the well. So you start at your toe and work back towards the heel, making fractures. How many people are on the project that you're working on right now? The one that I'm on right now, um, that we've actually just completed it. Um, we had 32 rig members. We had uh, probably 64 people with uh, with the combined service companies. There, there. You, we probably had uh, six service companies. I think it was out there at the, at all. They all do have a specific job. We have one that handles just the water. One that has the that has the high pressure pumps, and, uh, and we have uh, people who put the plugs in between each separate fraction uh, fracking event. Then they each put in their plugs or whatever balls. It, it just depends on how, how what type of system you have in there. But we had six service companies out there, so we had over a hundred people. And what's what's your daily rate of production on that? Uh, uh, the the post um, oil probably uh, we're, we haven't tested it all the way completely yet, so there's no no uh, way of knowing what it's going to be. But the preliminary flowbacks have been about a a, a sixty forty cut, which is sixty uh, percent water, forty percent oil, which is which is a really good when you when you do your initial full back off of a frack. That's usually you just get just the fracking fluid back, at for for a while. Then your oil starts showing up. The sooner it shows up, probably the better pay zone you're actually in. Uh, so we're getting a sixty forty uh, cut with it right now. So we're we're expecting this well to do pretty well. Uh, we've um, just doing the flow back. We've had to sell several loads of oil already so um it's we, we're expecting this particular well to do pretty well and we're, we're actually fracking an older 
section of the Barnett, which was the very first formations that they they used the horizontal drilling with the uh, the fracking in combination. So we're we're actually doing a a, a new part of an old zone. So is it something that hasn't been drilled at all and is in a zone, or is it something that's been drilled but you can now more efficiently extract oil from it? Um, no, it, we, we what we're doing now is like when you when you fracture uh, when the, this Barnett zone is it's probably a 10, 12 years old area of, of where they, we've been doing the hydraulic fracturing, but but they would go to the. Um, it's more like the Dallas Fort Worth area with it's a thicker and richer zone there. I'm more to the West and up by the Oklahoma border, uh, uh to the West of Dallas, maybe, um, 200 miles. And, um, and we're getting into a, a section of the same Barnett, but it's only 10, 20 foot section of it. We have to be very, exact in our drilling in the horizontal section we have to get in just we have a 10-foot zone where we can't be out of or we will be in another zone that won't pay and uh could actually uh damage the well it may be a, a zone that has nothing but water in it and if we were to fracture into that area then the water would flood our oil zone and we'd end up having more water than oil and uh and our cost then for production would go way up because we have to do something with that water once it's produced and and the the way we we handle that water is to re-inject it into uh, the same formation we will use uh, water flooding which is another technique where i can go to another well a mile or two away that's in the same zone pump that water down and that floods the the zone and pushes it towards the well that I want to produce out of it. So I can kind of clean up that zone. You mentioned the issue of, of there's a fairly small margin for error uh, in the Barnett where you're um, drilling. What are the skills involved in, in nailing it as opposed to having the water problems you mentioned? Um, we have to use what they call directional drilling. And uh, that's what, just during the drilling stage when the rig is on the location and it's drilling, and and we know from we we know from uh, when we do our uh, a, a lot of these zones they've already they've already drilled through them going to lower zones um, which they think usually if you're drilling well you want to go as deep as you can to the deepest depth of any formation that you think may be a pay zone. And then that gives you the ability to work your way back up the hole as each zone depletes, you, you'll plug that section. Instead of drilling a new well, you'll use an existing well and come back in. You put it in what they call a whip stock. It's, it's, it's a, like a plug that's you, you set in the well bore itself. And it actually makes what best way for me to describe it is like a sliding board like a, like a child's sliding board. And then you put a bent sub on the end of a motor that actually turns and you, you cut a hole through the side of the pipe and you can, and once you get 
out there, then you pick up a drill bit, you go back in and you can actually start drilling again. And you can, and you can drive the, with this directional drilling, you can actually drive the, the drill bit. You know right where it is, you know, um, it's like a 3D picture that we have and we can move it up, down, to the left, to the right, um, and and we know how far out it is. So and, that that uh, that's a lot of it, right? That I don't know if if people know about just the. I think there's some idea sometimes that well we know where all the oil is and it's not all you do is stick a drill, and in fact we're blind to it. I mean from the surface, not like we can see it, and even you have imaging, um, but. This is you're doing a lot of imaging with by drilling down, right? The drill itself has sensors and, and is giving you information. Which is how recent a development is that? Well, it, it, it's they have several types. Uh, what the oldest type is um, is what they call MWD mud weight. Uh, you, you can tell by the the density of the mud that's in the well bore, and you can actually by by Putting a pulse is the best way I can describe it. Is actually is from your your pumps and the pressure that you're using on your pump. It actually puts a surge on the fluid. We know how much we know the exact density of that fluid, so we know how long it would take to go down around a corner, cut, hit the hit the end, and come back. So we kind of steer it from uh, sound waves, basically, or it's best way I can describe that. Or we have actually some newer technologies that they use, which they call coil tubing. Uh, when you're going to go in an, an older well and you want to cut your windows and move, this coil tubing is pipe that's on. It's not like what you think conventionally pipe where you screw it together. It's actually a big spool of pipe, 20,000 foot spooled up, maybe two, two inches in OD, two, two and three eighths OD. Um, and you attach your motors to the end of that pipe and you can actually go down and you can run a wire through this entire spool of pipe. It's a, it, it's electric line and it, and it actually gives you electrical readings and it's very precise, but the problem is it's a little harder to steer because it's not as rigid. The pipe isn't as rigid. And when you're out 16,000 feet or down in a well that deep, it's, it, it's, if, you, if you can imagine pushing a string on a table, when it's short, as you push it along, it's easy to move. But once it gets long, you get a little, enough string out there and you start pushing it, it it'll want uh, to start bunching up. Like the, it, you've pushed out as far as the end will go and you're just pushing at, right there close to your fingers. Well, the, your pipe will do the same thing. And um, and if it's on wire, or the wire, it'll tell you where you're at, but it won't help you steer it at all. It, it, you have to do that by um, by changing the direction, the face of your drill bit. Uh, you may have to come out, change out the motor. You may have to put what they call a bent sub on it, which gives you one or two degree angle. And you can aim it and and let it start cutting. Then you may have to come back out again once you get your direction built. And put a straight one on, so it'll you can you know keep going straight. There's there's several different tricks that we use, you know, that we can steer it with. But uh, but that's just some of the ways that they can they do it. The the 
typical method, what you're what you're hearing now when you combine it with fracking is you're using a, a, a drilling rig and you're using jo jointed pipe, pipes with connections. It's heavy, heavy, heavy pipe. Uh, they would call it drill pipe. And when, when we also have what we call drill collars, which are even heavier than your drill pipe. But the, the more weight you get on the tip of it at the end, where the drill bit is itself, the better control you have over it. You don't have bouncing, you don't have the vibration, and you can actually steer this thing out. And in and, and that method, we use M, MWD and uh, that mud weight um, uh, to, to steer it. And that's, that's, that's the main way of, of that you, for the fracking purposes that we, you know, that we'll talk about. What's on a technical level, what's the most challenging part of your job? Um, it, it, it's hard to say that one particular part is more challenging than the other because it, every well is different. Uh, the, this last well we, we had, we, we wanted to drill out over, we wanted to have a 4,000 foot lateral section and, and we were only able to get 1500 feet out of it because even though we would drill out, the hole would cave back in on us as we pulled the drill bit out. And then when we went to go back, there was no more hole there. We had to re-drill it. We had to re-ream. So this, this particular well, the drilling was the, was the, it took us maybe uh, 28 days longer than, than planned just because we kept losing the hole so many times. And um, so this was, this was more of the challenge was just getting the hole to, to uh, maintain its uh, stability. And a lot of times we, the way you do that would, you increase the density of your mud, which puts more pressure outward pressure and would hold the walls up a little better. And you can, and then you also get what you call wall cake. This is this mud that you're using as weight uh, to, uh, to suspend, uh, put the hole in suspension there. As you, you try to, um, it'll start building up a, a cake on the wall and that'll, and it eventually helps you keep that the well bore itself stable but this one it was just we never could get it to work for us uh we were, we were having a, a very hard time with it it's, it's uh it, it, the best way i could describe it was it was kind of like drilling through pudding you know you and as you pull back out the pudding would just fall back in on itself and uh so drilling was hard on this one but i've had it where the drilling been very easy and then we go back in and fracking it would be impossible because it was a much harder rock or something for one reason or another. And, um, that, so it's, it's hard to say. There isn't any one particular part of it that's hard, harder than the other. They can, it's just each well is different and it's however it works out there. Yeah, I find it fascinating just how individuated oil projects are because we often hear of oil in the aggregate such as this many this many million barrels a day are produced in the world we consume this many and yet they're produced by all of these discrete individuals on discrete projects with discrete characteristics with discrete challenges and everyone has to 
constantly figure out new things. It's it's far from the automatic thing that many people perceive it as. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, that's right. It, it, every job is different. Every job has its own challenges. There, there's never I, I I've I never I've been doing this for 32 years. I've never I've never had a well where I'm not actually learning about it as I go. Uh, with all the experience, it can only help you up to a certain point. That particular well, you'll learn the way it the way it, it does to you. It, it, it'll, it may drill different than the rest. It may uh, frack different. It may you, we also run the, the completions may it may be different. It, it, they all have what we, we call um, dog legs, uh, which are little, if you can imagine the rear leg of a dog, it may have that kind of shape to it. So that adds a, a new challenge because you've got that little bump there and you have to deal with that. You, it, it may, the tools that we run in the wells as a, as a completion may not go fit the same way as, as the last one. So, and, and these are all things that you, you look at. We have, um, we have what they call surveys and, and once the well is drilled and, and we can tell the, the degree of the angle, the hole at that point. And we have to make our adjustments on our tools as we're uh, running them in there. And, and we, we, we look at our surveys and, and, and the, the well, di well diagrams, and we have to put it all together like a little puzzle and say, well, this is what's causing that particular problem at this depth. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it's constant like that. It's always, every well is different. Every time you go on a new well that you haven't worked on, you know you're gonna, there's gonna, it's gonna have its own challenges and you're gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, two, two thoughts come to mind here. One is just, just for listeners. When you're going to a gas station, think about this and think about how every gallon that goes in your gas tank, there is someone behind that gallon who had to do all of this thinking and exert all of this effort. And if he did a good job, you know, the, then that gallon is there or it's a little cheaper. And if he didn't, then it's a little more expensive. And I often hear the value of individuals and certainly individual drilling projects demeaned. For example, if you look at all of the oil that's oil drilling that's forbidden in Alaska, you often hear, oh, it'll just add a tiny bit to our global supply. Well, the way the global supply gets to be the way it is, is a lot of individuals and individual projects adding up. It'd be like saying, well, you shouldn't be allowed to farm in this new farm because they're, you know, it only adds a little bit of corn if you add up the whole world. And yet every farmer, people have a sense of, yeah, my corn came from some farmer, whether it's a business, that's just a set of farmers uh, organizing together. I think it's it's a very helpful concrete to have to see someone, to hear from someone who's doing it and then connect that to the gasoline that you use or to the petroleum products you use, to all the plastics you use. And then of course, connect that to your life, which we focus on a lot on this show. Uh, Terry, you mentioned that you've been in this business for 32 years. So let's, let's do a little biography. How did you get into the oil industry? Uh, well, when I first graduated high school, I went directly, I went straight into the Marines. I, I did, uh, I did my time in the service and then got out and went to school on, on the VA bill. Um, I was, uh, 
I went to Arizona State. Uh, afterwards, I um, I took a teaching job in Yuma, Arizona. Um, I taught a, a, I was the phys ed coach. I was wanting, at that time, I was, I, I, I love football and I was wanting to coach high school football. Well, the first summer, a, a break that came up, um, I went to New Orleans uh, where I had a, a sister who was living there and her husband worked for uh, an oil service company. And, uh, and I always heard about working offshore and everything. So I, I thought, well, I'll work for this company offshore for the summer and then I can go back to um, teaching in the fall. Well, uh, I'd I love the job. I, I got offshore. I was working offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. I was doing a job. Uh, it, it's called snubbing. It's, um, it's similar to a, a rig where you screw the pipe and run the pipe in the well. And, uh, but it's, you work under, under a lot of pressure when you, uh, when you're working on a rig, the, the way you control the well from blow, blowing out the oil or gas or whatever is you have the density of the mud. You, you calculate it's called hydrostatic head. It's the amount of, of weight you need on the formation to keep it is basically a fluid plug that you're putting on the formation. Well, in snubbing, it, it, it's a different, they, they, we work differently. We don't, we, we, we somewhat want the well to flow, or if we don't, it may be an emergency situation where you may have a well that's going to blow out. This is where a lot of the guys who work on blowouts actually come from this uh, part of the business. And, and you'll go out, rig up, and run your pipe in with the pressure on the well, and you'll force the pipe down to a certain depth where you can fill, pump the mud and actually what they call kill the well. That's when you have a, a sufficient amount of mud weight to hold the formation back. And I, I just thought it was uh, the most interesting thing I ever did in my life, including all, you know, I was in the military. I spent time overseas. I, and I just loved what I was doing, and I decided I'd never go back to teaching, and uh, I would stay doing that. I've been pretty much moving from one job to the next. I've worked in 32 different countries. Um, I've worked for several different companies, and now I'm, I'm self-employed, and I, uh, I consult for exploration company here in the United States that uh, – we, we we try to find oil in the places where you least expect it, and and we try to develop these fields, and uh, and I, I'm still loving my job every day. What's your What's your favorite part of it? My favorite part of it is figuring out. I like to. I, I like the the part where we figure out the problems that other people haven't been able to figure out. Uh, I, I, the more challenging the well, the, the more I like it, uh, is the more interest I have in it. Uh, I do a lot of the typical day-to-day -day stuff. And it's, and, and, you, and the, day, the typical day-to-day -day stuff, you have to be very conscious of what you're doing because it's when you don't, that's when you could have a problem. That's, that's when you see a lot of the things that have ever, happen these blowouts and 
and the spills, that's when you see, they, that's when people become lackadaisical in their day-to-day, when it's the same routine. And and I understand how that can happen. Uh, uh, so the, to me, the more the interesting the job is, the more the more you're focused on it and the least chance that you have of anything happening like that. And after having done this for, I, I was in Kuwait in the 91 after the uh, first Gulf War. And uh, I seen, you know, I, I've, I've, just the things that I've gotten to see is, uh, I can say that, you know, if I hadn't done this job, I would my life wouldn't have been as half as interesting as it's been because I've really enjoyed what I've been doing. Just, just putting the puzzles together every time that we get out on a well, new well. Now you mentioned the, the possibility of something going wrong and that's a, that's a good segue to the issue of safety. How do you think about, and we could say more broadly safety, both for the people on the rig and then for people nearby to the extent that applies. How do you think about that issue and how do you think most people in the industry think about that issue? The, we have a safety culture and, and after I've been around people in other jobs, I can say that our safety culture is, is more evolved than any that I've ever seen. We, we, we do things that, uh, we have programs, risk analysis, uh, risk assessments, uh, pre-job safeties talks, uh, or they call them toolbox talks. Uh, we have stop programs where any person on the job can stop the dr- can stop the entire job if they don't understand what's going on or if they see anything that could possibly be wrong. That they and and this is from the the first day you ever work in the business to the last day. Any person has what they call stop work authority. They can shut down the entire job until they're satisfied that we've, we've, we've gotten the, we've resolved the problem. Um, and this is, goes on every, every day constantly. It's, 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 it's something that never leaves our mind. Everybody thinks about somebody can come back from their break, forget their safety glasses. He won't get very far on that job before somebody else will tell him, go, go get your safety glasses. You may write a stop card later on that day. We'll go over at, every, at, our, at our tower meetings, which is before you start your your shift. Uh, they'll go over and say, "We had this happen today. This happened today. We we uh, we have lesson learned records. Just everything that we do is based on safety." And I've never worked for a company that has that would say, I know this isn't safe, but go ahead and do this. You, you it's, It'll be okay. I have never worked for a company that has said something like that. During our, our risk assessment, if we haven't gotten it, the, the risk totally eliminated to something that is perfectly safe that we can handle, we just won't move forward with the job. And I've, I've seen that happen many times where you we wouldn't – I've seen it where our whole drilling operation has been shut down because the crane operator on an offshore platform didn't come out of his cab when a helicopter landed. 
we were shut down for two or three days while we, because we know that the, there could be a risk if he ever turned his crane into, we went over start to finish our, our crane program or safety program for two to three days. And I'm talking about a, a million dollar oper a day operation shutting down for three days just to talk about the safety around the helicopters, which was nothing to do with the particular job at hand. But but safety is considered that important with these people. So um, why 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 do you think that is? Because uh, many people would think, well, they they have no natural concern with safety, but perhaps Obama's doing a good enough job keeping them in line. Um, this this was from years ago, before I ever heard the name. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we th this is the way our every one of us that are out there are, are friends. The people who um, the, the people who I go home with and talk to and spend my weekends with, and my family spends their weekends with their families, we work next to each other. Um, uh, I've been unfortunate enough to be on a location where, where, where men have died before and, and it's, and it affects you forever. And um, I, I have, I, I'll never forget my first accident where a person died and it was a friend of mine who actually came from Arizona with me when I first started. And, um, it was his his brother actually was was the one that died and uh, he uh, and I and I, I I think of the guy every day you know I mean uh, every day I've, uh, since it's happened but every time uh, you know every time I start my shift I think of him and uh, and and that's just the way it is I mean these those things don't leave you and um, and. You don't want you don't want a lot of those memories, and um, and and so we 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 look out for each other, um, and and we also know that we have to put this into the younger guys coming up. That we have to put that type of thinking into their heads, otherwise they're not gonna they're not gonna make it home someday. And, uh, and that's the main thing for us is everybody's got to make it home. We don't care whether the well, it, 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 nobody, we, we would rather lose a well than to lose one man. If we think that we're going to, that, and that's not just, I'm not just thinking about the ultimate penalty. I'm thinking about people who's lost their fingers, uh, people who have fallen, uh, we, we, we can have slip and falls just like in a store or something, you know, and so, and, and everybody wants to go home in one piece and healthy and not, not have to think about what's happened to one of our friends or, or coworkers. With that in mind, what, what is it like, especially after something like Deepwater Horizon, when you hear, just general condemnations from the culture about the oil industry and particularly uh, people's concern for safety and as if you just blindly go gung-ho quickly and dangerously into projects without concern for anyone's life. 
Well, I, I take that real personal because that, that is not the way we do it. There, there is never a step in our procedure that hasn't been thought out of well ahead of time, hasn't been discussed, we, where we haven't talked about what the possibilities that could go wrong at this stage, what we'll do in that, in that instance if it happens. And I'm talking about every single step of our procedures. And, and we, the procedures that we have now are written out, are, are to somebody who wouldn't know what the procedure is, but there is three, four times longer than what I used to see because because of the safety culture that's coming up. We we want to say, okay, break it down to each little minute. Even okay, at this point, we tighten this bolt, connect this hose. What can go wrong when you tighten that bolt? Oh, we could drop the bolt down the well, or we could uh, smash your fingers at this time, or or striking. We're going when you beat these bolts up, you don't. They're they're not just like wrenches where you just tighten them with your hands. You actually beat them with a hammer to to tighten them. And uh, it, the hose when you connect the hose, you could get hydraulic fluid. Uh, it could be, the hose could be charged, and you could get hydraulic fluid. So what are we going to do to resolve that? We're going to make sure that the, there's no pressure on the hoses before we connect it. So we keep breaking it down to step by step, and further and further back until as far as we can, until we're satisfied that we we've, we've done all that we can do. And when you think of an operation like one of these, you, I can you can imagine I've, the pictures of these offshore rigs and how big they are and, and all the all the th things that are actually going on at that time. So you can imagine how detailed, it, it, you know, if we're breaking everything down into such detail, how, how far into detail we are, really. And uh, nothing is planned haphazardly. It's not, it's not like that at all. We, we, first of all, if you want to look at it at like a, at, at how they think that we look at it as only we're only after the money. Okay. If we're really only after the money, well, that's the best way to do it is, is to make sure that every little detail is worked out ahead of time. So you're not coming to a stopping point where you can't move forward because you haven't thought of this or, or what could happen, or we're going to have to wait for this part to come out on a boat, which might not be here for 24 hours or it might be 48 hours, depending on how far offshore you are, or, uh, or it may have to be made in Houston and then shipped down to the, to one of the ports on the Gulf and then put on a boat to come out or the cost of, if you're really in a hurry to put it on a helicopter, to find a helicopter that may be able to carry it or not, depending on how big it is. And, uh, so it's just cost effective for us for first thing, but, but that isn't the first thing. The first thing is our people. We're worried about our people. We're worried about the environment and then we're worried about the cost. And that's the, and that's the way it works for us. But, uh, it, the the saying is out there is you know no no cost in people no cost to the environment and and then no cost to the well and that's just well, the way we think well as I think you know I have a um, kind of a stickler on the idea of the environment um so I mean, are you talking about the, do you think they're referring to the human environment or do you think they're primarily referring to um 
birds. Not that you want to spill, not that anyone wants to spill oil on birds, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a very different thing than killing a person. Um, it, it has to be um, equal. Because uh, what if we drop a wrench offshore and we know it's going straight to the bottom and the, there's probably very little environmental hazard there, we have to log it down. There, it, it, it's, it's not just it's, it's just not, oh, OK, I dropped my wrench. I go get another one. It's nothing like that. That's not the way we handle it at all. First of all, it has to be reported to me, which I'm the, the what they call the company man. I'm the guy who's in charge of the location. I have to fill out a report on that. Um, we we got to make every effort to get it up. We have different ways of, of doing that. Um, we, we have divers. If it's too deep, we have uh, our ROV submarines that, that you can just drive down, pick it up with a pair of, it's got like uh, clamps on it that'll pick like arms and then it'll pick it up. Uh, we, oil is, absolutely not going into the water. I mean, that's, there, there's nothing that goes in it. In fact, we, we filter our water from the wells. We don't even dump that into the water anymore. That has to be shipped in and disposed of properly. Yeah, so some of this, I mean, some of this definitely sounds problematic to, to me. And if you take something like a wrench, Okay, if I'm just a normal person, like, hanging out at the beach or something like that, I don't know why I'd have a wrench in my pocket, but I might have something metal in my pocket, and it falls, you know, it's, that's not the greatest thing ever, but it's, you know, it's metal. What is it going to do? It's just, there's metal, you know, to in some concentration and, you know, under the sea. It's, it's, you know, I don't feel... If you take a drink of water, you're, you're actually going to get small amounts, trace amounts of metal. Yeah, but not if it's diluted by the whole ocean. I mean, if yeah, maybe if I right. drank one millimeter away, but if I drank one millimeter away, I could get the I could get the wrench. It's, right. it's just that there's there's this. I mean, I understand that that everything. The, the broader point here is that that there are certain laws, whether I agree with them, their specifications or not. But the oil industry takes very seriously any kind of harm to its own people uh, or to other people, and I I think to the point of. It, it's forced to the point of excess. And when I think about that, I think, okay, well, the time you're spending on that wrench, you could be producing more oil or someone could be. I mean, the, the resource, you know, everything takes resources. So as much as possible, leaving aside safety issues, I want those resources directed towards what benefits human beings, not satisfying some crazy, uh, I don't know what it is, the Bureau of Oceans mandate. Well, the one thing that we think of more than anything else is that, that that's I've spent most of my adult life over the water that that's uh, when I when I work when I'm when I'm at my uh, when I have the most amount of time to myself I'm working an even a split shift of 14 days on 14 days off 28 days on 28 days off but the the position that I have, being a self-employed contractor, I don't work those type of schedules. I may go offshore from the beginning of the job, and I'll stay there until the job is done. If it takes a month, if it takes two months. If, um, I, last year, I worked 331 days, 
and uh, uh, on the, I was on the job 331 days. Some of those days were traveling to and from the job, which they paid me for. But uh, but 331 days, that's not a lot of time home. So my I spent more time over the water and, and, and on these locations or in the area of these wells than I do at my own home. And, um, and most of the people that I work with in these areas actually live in those areas and that's their homes. So they don't want you littering up their streets. They don't want you polluting their water that their children drink. And they don't want uh, you spilling things in their soil on their soil where they grow their food that, that, that their kids will eat later. And uh, this is this is something that we, we don't do this to satisfy the environmentalists. We do this to satisfy ourselves. We, we, we're more we are actually more aware of our environment than I think than the environmentalists are. We're we're we're, we're conservationists is what I like to say. We we want to we want to use our our resources there that are available to us. But we don't want to damage anything to do it. We, we we live there. We're gonna the same things that they're worried about could happen to them or anybody else that's walking down the street. That can happen to us. That can happen to our children. We don't want we don't want that. Uh, so we do it for our for ourselves. I've I've never even I I pay very little attention to environmentalists because most of the times I've I've noticed that they especially like when it comes to this fracking. That they have very little knowledge of what they're talking about, and um, and they're really—I can't say that they really care about the environment as much as as I do, because I'm providing a service that they're using. Every time you hear an ambulance go down the street, the the tires on the ambulance, the fuel in the ambulance, the oil in the ambulance. Everything that's part of the machine, life support systems in that ambulance, all of it comes from oil. That's that's our environment. That that's the people, you know, the humans. That's our environment. We're I'm making it better. The the those people who are trying to stop us, they have no alternatives. They they, they can't come up with anything to, to say let's do this to, to replace that. It may be their very own mothers and fathers and their own children in these ambulances, but they don't have anything that they can put up there to replace it. If there was something, some miracle energy source that uh, existed that didn't pollute, was perfectly uh, inert to the environment, I would be all for it. I would do everything I could to push it. I'd put myself out of business. I wouldn't care. That That's a much better gold but it's not there and oil and gas is here and we have plenty of it and we can use it and it's not it's not nearly as bad as what people say it is and they sure have had a lot more benefits from it themselves everybody who complains about it they they themselves have benefited from it just as much as i have yeah and unfortunately very ungratefully in in many cases one one final question on this just broader issue of the industry's attitude toward safety environment neighbors etc uh, i hear a lot of 
criticism or, or complaining about the the behavior of different um, I've heard this mostly with gas, uh, but the behavior of, of new operations that are coming on very quickly in an area like Marcellus or something like that, is there any legit, and I'm not just talking about people complain that there are too many trucks, but you know that the people are being haphazard. Do you think there's any legitimacy to that or is there any danger in the the fact that it's scaling rather quickly, that maybe the law isn't developed enough. I, I honestly don't know myself if there's any legitimacy there. Uh, it, without without knowing all the, the laws, I, I can tell you that the people who have uh, moved and, and you have to, like there's nobody in the Northeast, say the Marcellus. When, when they first started doing the horizontal drilling and the fracking there, the people with the experience who were knowledgeable enough to complete those tasks weren't there. They weren't living there. They were living in the Gulf of Mexico, Texas, uh, in the oil states, California. Uh, they 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 had to to move people into that area from those those areas, the, the oil states that have the experience. Well, when those people come up there. They take with them the same amount of experience that they were using down here. The, the experience followed them up there. There were, there were, then they hired from the local population to fill in, to uh, like the, um, the uh, like the journeyman style style uh, jobs where you could get a guy and start him off and teach him how to do this job. And, and, and they would each, you know, and he, over the years, they can move him up the more knowledgeable he become. Um, but so there those people that were moving up there would treat the environment, the safety, the same as they did in the Gulf of Mexico. So even if the, the, say this, the Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, even though that those people weren't, prepared the people who were coming up there that were in charge of it they were prepared and they knew how to do it and do it safely and and it was just more or less a a, a mat, they they had to work together to see how okay some we we do a, a lot of our disposal fluids we we inject into the ground and to depths that are so deep and these formations are so open it just flows down there and then never you never hear from it again and it's uh, perfectly safe, and um, and and we when we went up there, I, I was I worked in the Mar- Marcellus myself, and uh, and it, I've worked in New York, in uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, there there were things that happened. There was um, the I think there was a someone put uh, the only only one that I really know of that, that was really an error on their part was, uh, was someone took a load of, uh, frack fluid and, and dumped it illegally. You, you can't stop the one or two people that, um, that'll do that. They don't, they don't care. And they, they're just doing this as a job and they, and if they lose that job, they don't even care. Um, 
if, if somebody's going out, it's just like somebody's going to go rob a bank. They're going to rob a bank. There's not ahead of time. You won't know it. You can prosecute them afterwards, but ahead of time, you're not you're not going to be able to stop them because you're not going to know. You, you're not going to think somebody would do something like that. Well, sometimes it happened, and it's happened. But the the claims that were were um, like the movie Gasland, all of that. Yeah, I definitely wasn't almost, talking. About, I mean. Yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff that is, is total compl- I mean, that is anyone, anyone who can think critically should, right. I think, that, regard that as as bizarre reasoning and and reporting and lack of context. Yeah. I, I meant more of yeah. the other kinds of things that you you just addressed. Yeah, there, there, it's very hard to stop anybody from doing something like that if you don't know they're ahead of time. But we but we we do have a pretty good. Uh, one of the other things we have another we have some of the best human resources and uh, people in, in in the human resource business and 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 we do have a selection that we try to weed out as much as we can of any 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 type of risk that we think someone if we think they're a, a risky personality we can't afford to have them with us um, if they're if we can't depend on these people then then we can't afford to have them working with us, not only because they might do something like that, but you have to depend on them for the safety. They're, they're the guy that's working next to you. Um, is he, is he going to worry about his job or your safety as much as you're worrying about his? And that's kind of the way it has to be. We're, we work together and, and, and there's, there's, it's, it's very close knit bunch of, of men. And, and it's, it's not as much and we, you see these people over the years, time and time again. I've ran into people that I've known in the in uh, in this in Pittsburgh at the airport, it's, uh, Frankfurt at the airport, and I've ran into one of my best friends I didn't even know was in the middle of the jungle in Africa once, and uh, and he was there. He was a guy who I've worked with for years. Uh, that can't tell you how many times that happens. I've never been to either Gatwick airport or Frankfurt airport and not seeing somebody that I know uh, every, because we all do the rotations. We all use the same airports. So you, you're constantly running into people over the years that you've worked with in the past and end up working again with them in the future. Sometimes, you know, it's just a, it's just the nature of the business. And it, it seems like everybody knows everybody or knows of somebody and knows the other one, you know, and we, we're always running into each other. All right. So the hour is almost up. So I'll, I'll let you take it away. Any final thoughts that you want to share with the audience about the oil industry or anything related to it? Sure. The, my, my main thing is, is that I'd like to make sure that everybody knows is the guy who's sitting next to you on the airplane, he may, he may work in the oil business. The, the people that you see in the restaurants with their families, they, they may get their live, make their living in the oil and gas business. We're, we're, we're the same people as everyone else. We're, it's nothing, uh, we're not the, uh, the dirty oil filled people that you think of it, or, or, or you see in the, it uh, portrayed in the movies or, or on television. It's not the way we are. We're, we're the same people. We're, uh, I'm a grandfather and a father 
I got two grandkids that I love and, and, and they live in, in oil country and they, uh, and that's who we are. We're just, in, just like everybody else. We're, we're, we're doing something that we believe in and it, we believe it's good for everybody. And, um, and we're just the, the guys next door, the men and women next door. There's a, it's, it's not, it's never, there's, we have the same, same cut of people that you see anywhere else in life. And that's the main thing I'd like to make sure everybody knows. Yeah. And I, I think, um, one reason I wanted to bring you on, and it's definitely been accomplished, is to is to prevent people from dehumanizing the oil industry. It's easy to dehumanize any group of people or any person that you're not directly familiar with. Whereas, if you know, imagine, let's say Josh Fox has to. Not that you guys wouldn't run him off the boat or the rig, but you know, let's say you hung out around Josh Fox, he would have to change his his disposition very strongly because it's very easy for him to say all these generalizations when he's not around you. But if he's around you, he has to deal uh, with the reality of the situation. So I think that's always a value in terms of thinking about people in general to really know, do you know concretely what's going on or are you just dealing with a, an abstraction and or an empty abstraction? And then one other th- final thought on this is that part of the reason that people in the oil industry are dehumanized as say compared to people in the wind industry who are definitely not more virtuous i think to say the least for more on that uh see deborah sloan's article i had a green job is is the reason is is because their product is not thought to be moral so the the basic job of producing oil is not thought to be moral and that's one of the reasons why i'm very happy uh to do the work that we do at CIP because I think one of the things we recognize unequivocally is that producing oil is something great because oil is a tremendous value for human life. And we don't let the fact that negative things can happen with oil get in the way. And the fact of that's negative things happening with something that's very positive and therefore we have a positive moral expectation um, of anyone who's involved with that industry or as people who believe that the product is evil, well, if they think you're dealing in poison, yeah, they're going to suspect all these characteristics. So ultimately, I think our contribution to this can be giving people the right moral evaluation of oil, including the right environmental evaluation of oil. I think that will lead to a much more just culture toward an industry that, as Terry said, uh, we all depend on. So, Terry, thanks for thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. All right, and uh, I'll just wrap up the hour now. Thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. As always, any questions, comments, love mail, hate mail, email me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Make sure to check out our new projects, The Industrial Encyclopedia, at www.theindustrialencyclopedia.com, and I Love Fossil Fuels, which is at ilovefossilfuels.com. Next week... We'll be back with another great subject, another great guest. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.